Hi everyone, you're watching Stefan Levera Podcast, brought to you by Swan.com, a leading Bitcoin financial services brand. Now, today we're talking about Bitcoin life insurance. So you might you might have seen my recent episode with Tua Demista where this came up, and there turns it turns out there is a company doing something like this. And so we speak to the CEO and co-founder of Meanwhile. His name is Zach Townsend, and we're talking about this idea of Bitcoin life insurance. What does it look like when it's all priced in and done in Bitcoin terms? Now we talk about the model, term, or whole life. Is this the next Celsius or BlockFi? What are some of the risks there? Does it work under a deflationary environment as well as the private credit fund that the team are doing? So here's my chat with Zach Townsend. Zach, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. So, Zach, I know you're building out this interesting idea of Bitcoin life insurance. Uh, so, uh, interested to get into this and hear a little bit more about the model, how it's going to work, and, of course, uh, get into what I think some of the criticisms will be. But I think it'll be interesting to hear from your perspective, um, you know, how you got into this and how you, you, know, you got this idea to set up a Bitcoin life insurance company. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So I've been, um, I'm not like an OG Bitcoiner, but um, I actually had this first company called Standard Treasury backed by like Anderson Horowitz and Index Ventures that I sold uh, in 2015. And during that sale process, we actually had an offer. Um, they were all like Aquahire, Aquahire Plus offers. And one of those offers was from Coinbase. So I like interviewed a Coinbase and I actually got my first Bitcoin like from Brian Armstrong, um, him showing me how Coinbase worked. So um, that's when I got interested in Bitcoin. And then I did a bunch of like other things. But in the background, I was like, you know, had a weekly buy on Bitcoin. I really believed in Bitcoin. Um, and for us, we really think that it's going to be uh, the heart of a long-term global financial system. So we look out 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and we think there's going to be a robust Bitcoin economy. Um, and that economy has all sorts of special features. There's nothing to tell you about, which is that like, there's no government behind it and it's decentralized and you always have the option of self-custody and self-sovereignty. But we uh, sat down at the beginning of um, running this business. And we actually just made a list of all the financial institutions we think are going to need to exist in that economy. So like they're going to need to be an exchange. There's going to need to be an asset manager. There's going to need to be a bank. Uh, there's going to need to be an insurance company. And um, we were sort of thinking about all those and we just got really fascinated by life insurance, both um, what it does for users and why it's important for um, people to have life insurance. And then the other hand, um, we think that life insurance like plays a really critical role in economies. Like many of the mortgages in the country are owned by life insurance companies, many of the buildings, the infrastructure. Um, Cause what's special about life insurance companies is that you make very, very long promises. Um, but that also means that you can make really, really long investments. And we think that's something different and new in Bitcoin. Um, you know, instead of worrying about the price of Bitcoin today or this month or this year, um, you know, we should be thinking a few halvings ahead, actually. And, um, you know, that's the kind of thinking you can do uh, if you're a life insurance company. 
Yeah, fascinating. And I think there are some uh, commentators in the industry, people like Tour de Mista, who I understand you know him also, that uh, he's been talking about this idea of Bitcoin-based life insurance for years. And so I thought it was interesting that I sort of came across your profile and came across what you're doing because this is like some, in some ways, it's an actualization of that idea. Um, and so I guess just for people who aren't as familiar with the life insurance model, like just at a very basic level, could you explain a little bit about this? And, you know, are you doing term life insurance or um, whole or permanent life insurance? And just a little bit around the model, if you could explain that for us. Yeah. And what are those things? Um, yeah. So, uh, there's actually a lot to unpack there. So let's start with um, what life insurance is about, right? So on one level, you can think um, we are all going to eventually die. I hope I'm not the bearer of bad news for anyone, but we don't actually know when we're going to die. Um, so at heart, life insurance is about um, like all insurance really is like a bunch of people get together and they um, they say, well, maybe we should all pay, you know, a thousand of us should pay a dollar a month. And if uh, the one poor person who die, the one uh, unlucky person who dies, they'll get a thousand dollars, right? So the, the core notion of uh, all insurance and life insurance is about protection. And in, in the case of life insurance protection, um, in case you die. Um, so actually, I just want to start there and say, like, these are like relatively core, um, like financial needs, life insurance, uh, particularly burial insurance is like one of the oldest financial products in the world, like Venetian sailors had life insurance, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old. Um, and it's pretty, um, it's pretty fundamental, right? Like life insurance is about like, what happens to my family or my loved ones, um, or even like, just the money I have if I uh, die before I'm supposed to. And an annuity, which is like the flip side of life insurance, is actually like what happens to me if I live longer than I'm supposed to? Uh, I don't have the savings. Like how do I, you know, there's sort of like you have your own what's called longevity risk. Um, <clears throat> so on one hand, that's like what it's all about for users. How life insurance companies actually work uh, is you you sort of are like helping facilitate that, that shared risk pooling. What's special about our company actually is we have a um, subsidiary in Bermuda. Bermuda, not the Bahamas. I just want to be clear. Sometimes these places are confused with each other. Um, Bermuda is like the insurance capital of the world. You go to Bermuda, 70% of their economy is financial services. It's all about insurance. Uh, you walk around, everyone you meet is an actuary, a lawyer, an accountant. Um, it doesn't actually have that big a tourist business. Like this is what they do is they do insurance. And there's a fun whole history of why that is, but but anyway, that's what Bermuda is about. It's way out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we have a actual insurance company there. So we are like regulated by the Bermuda Monetary Authority. I um, I joke that I have all the problems of an insurance company and all the problems of a Bitcoin company. You know, I'm I have to deal with KYC and AML and enterprise risk management, and I have an independent board and. Um, all this stuff. But we have a, a real insurance company in Bermuda. And what's unique about that insurance company is it is entirely denominated in Bitcoin. So it takes all its premiums in Bitcoin, it pays all its claims in Bitcoin, and then it does like all the insurance mumbo jumbo in between in Bitcoin. So we like calculate our reserves, we do our regulatory filings, our capital insolvency, um, our financials, those are all in Bitcoin. And what's nice about that is that and this is like a, a thing that lots of people talk about when they talk about Bitcoin life insurance is we do everything we can to avoid 
like currency risk or exchange risk. Um, and by having all of our insurance assets and all of our insurance liabilities entirely in Bitcoin, we don't have to worry about the price of Bitcoin. So in the two years I've run this company, you know, the price of Bitcoin has been at, or I actually like to say the exchange rate of Bitcoin has been at 60,000, 16,000, you know, now it's, you know, approximately 40. And that doesn't matter. Like our, the promises we've made to our customers and the balance sheet that we have has just stayed the same. Um, so that's what the company is, is it's a normal, well-regulated risk managed insurance company, just denominated in Bitcoin. Okay, let me answer your your last question, which is like, what is our product? Um, so we have started with whole life, um, actually limited pay whole life. And um, you asked about term and whole life. So the thing about whole life is it, it's very well named. It lasts your whole life. <laughs> so because um, back to what I said, you will eventually die. There will eventually be a payout. So um, it's much more... We frame it as it's a it's a product to hodl. You know, it's about intergenerational wealth transfer. It's about protect intergenerational protection. Um, you, know, you pay the premiums. There will eventually be a payout, no matter what, um, because eventually you will die, or one will die. Um, and the way our product works is it's limited pay. So either. For U.S. tax reasons, um, you pay in 10 equal installments. So imagine you had a 10 Bitcoin policy, you pay one Bitcoin a year for 10 years. Um, and then we make a, a guaranteed promise of what the payout. So that would look like, it depends how old you are and what your sex is and whether you smoke or not and how healthy you are, but like it might be 10 into 20 or 10 into 15. So you put 10 in, we promise you 15. And then for... Um, some people don't want to pay over time. They want to pay up front. We have an option to do that um, where you sort of can pay us up front and then we pay your 10 premiums. But to comply with the U.S. tax rules, you have to, um, you can't, you have to like spread out the payments. I see. Okay. So yeah, just so in summary, we are a life insurance company. Yeah. We're denominated in Bitcoin. We're in whole life. Yep. Gotcha. And so just life. for people who, you know, maybe they're not as familiar, there's kind of the, the as you mentioned, there's these two types or yeah. two main types there's term term and that that might be like 15 or 30 years period and people are sort of you know they are assigned a certain amount of premium that they are paying and the company is then obviously collecting premiums from the customers and then investing some of the you know in this case you know uh, the that money yeah. and at the you know if you die in that period they're paying you out but in this case it's a whole life period and so there's more of this concept of cash value or reserves where you know, the person is contributing into this thing for their whole lives and they now have a, there's like a cash value. Well, for 10 years, could you in our case, limited. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so could you explain a little bit about the cash value part? Yeah. So, yeah. So you're completely right on term life. Eventually we'll probably do a term life product, but um, what term life is about is it's about protection over a certain term. So 10 years, 20 years, uh, 15 years. And, um, you know, the ratio tends to be very high, right? Because you're unlikely to die in the next 10 years. In whole life, um, yes, it lasts your entire whole, your whole life. And there is, um, we don't call it a cash value because, um, although we think of Bitcoin as cash, um, you know, various regulatory authorities don't. So we, ju we just call it the surrender value. Um, right. But you could think of that as like a savings account inside the policy. So you pay one 
Bitcoin your first year, um, there's a certain uh, account value. You're in your second year, you paid uh, two Bitcoin. You're there's an account value, and then that account value is accumulating over time. So after your ten years, you, um, you know it's going above the ten you paid, and then eventually it, it sort of amortizes up to um, to the amount of your the face amount. So like the the death benefit, the payout. Um, and I guess this gets to like, what are the benefits of whole life? And this, I'll, I'll tell you the three things you get from whole life. And this is true of all whole life. It's just that our whole life is nominated Bitcoin. So the first thing is you get protection. So from the moment you sell, you buy, you bind, you sign the contract, you pay your first premium. If you die the next day, you get the full death benefit, right? So you put one in and then you put two, you put your second in, your third premium in. Um, but over that time and for the rest of your life, whenever you die, when it, if you were to die, your beneficiaries would, um, would get that death benefit of, I'll just call it 15. So I have something to say. Um, the second is you're absolutely right. Um, you, the, your insurance company, and we can talk about this because this is exactly the most uncomfortable part of it. Um, the insurance, your insurance company is making investments with the money you give them to like make that promise, right? To turn 10 into 15. We make investments, um, like our investment is in Bitcoin. Everything's in Bitcoin. And then we make investments with that. Um, and even if you thought you could get the exact same returns we could in getting Bitcoin yield, we would, the promise we're making you is higher because we're compounding tax-free. Normally you would owe interest income if you like get yield on your Bitcoin um, every year. Uh, so that's like, you know, short-term capital gains income. That's what int- interest income is, is um, it's like income tax. Um, but you know, we're that 10 into 15 is, is more than you get on your own because uh, you know, every year we're not having to pay the, the yearly taxes. And the third thing, um, and again, this is just true of all whole life policies, is you can take a, a policy loan, uh, a tax-free policy loan against your surrender value. So what does that mean in practice for uh, our Bitcoin-denominated policy? What it means is, let's imagine you're in year 5, 10, 15. The exchange rate of Bitcoin has gone from 40000 to 400000 or to $4 million. I mean, I think, I think many people listen to this podcast, and us included, like, we think... Yeah. The price of Bitcoin over the long term not was going to go up. <laughs> so um, then if you needed liquidity, you could, let's again say you have a 10 Bitcoin policy where in year 10, you know, your surrender value is some amount. I'll just say it's approximately 10 because um, it's like near the premiums that you paid. So you could borrow a Bitcoin back from us and it would be like you were getting a new basis Bitcoin. So um, you wouldn't owe any capital gains if you wanted to liquidate that Bitcoin between 40000 and $4 million. So in that way, um, we talk about the product most importantly as, again, like a HODL product. Um, it's not a product for your whole stack. It's a product for like a portion of your stack. Again, because there's – we'll talk about custody, hypothecation, investments. So there are all these things that make Bitcoiners uncomfortable. But you get these, these, these intergenerational HODL benefits – so you get the protection, you get the huddle, and then if you needed liquidity, um, you ever had to sell a Bitcoin because you want to buy a house or whatever, it's a great vehicle to have done that in because you wouldn't pay capital gains from whenever you, you put into the policy to whenever you get out. Right. And so, because you would be not borrowing at the, okay, let's say today 
just to use those numbers, you said, as an example, it's a 10 Bitcoin policy and the price now today, let's just for easy numbers, let's say it's 400, sorry, 40,000. And let's say in a few years time, it's 400,000. You now get to borrow at the value at 400,000, not at 40,000. And you're not paying a capital gain on that 360,000 worth of appreciation in this example, right? Let's say in the future, you're borrowing one Bitcoin worth to buy a house and it's a $400,000 house just to make the numbers easy, right? So that's kind of, that's roughly the example we're we're working with in this example, Yeah, you will have been able to liquidate one of your Bitcoins without paying any capital gains tax. Gotcha. And so that's one aspect where, so I guess the trade-off for listener thinking about term life versus whole or permanent life is you're paying more, but you're getting this long-standing asset in a sense you know, at, that, at the end of it, right? Whereas Correct. I think historically you might have heard different financial advisors and planners and people talking about this is terminology. They say uh, buy term and, in re- and invest the rest because term is cheaper, right? That's like a typical thing you might have heard in the life insurance world yeah, yeah. people might say. Um, yeah, I will say there's this whole counters, uh, countervailing yeah. narrative of, of be your own bank, which is what you can do with whole life. Um, we, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't necessarily subscribe to either. I, I think... Fundamentally, what made us uncomfortable about starting with term life is um, you're basically telling people, I, I, like, I own some term life, you know, because, uh, like, I'm married, I have two kids. Um, if I drop dead, I have a term life policy equal to my mortgage, so then my wife wouldn't, would just, like, get our house, right? That, that would be, I guess, the, the benefit of me dying. Um, but so I do think that term life has a role, but I think as a first product for us, one of the things that is just uncomfortable about term life is you pay for 10 years. And if you live, um, then you've paid and you haven't gotten any protection. And we're primarily like our customers are mostly Bitcoiners, right? So they're mostly like folks in their 30s. They're, they like bought Bitcoin in their 20s. They're now in their 30s. A lot of them are getting married. A lot of them are having kids. That's like a core demographic is like a 35-year-old male Bitcoiner, you know, engaged to has one or two kids. And I think to sit that person down and say like, um, hey, you have a lot of Bitcoin. um, So you probably are in a decent financial position. The most important thing for you is to buy this policy that you'll probably won't use. And I think that's just a weird customer value prop. Whereas I think what's nice about whole life is you will absolutely get a payout. It like absolutely does have these tax benefits. Um, so you're, you're, you're still getting the protection, um, but you're also, you know, getting this compounding and it's more like a savings product and all of that. So that, that's why we started there. Eventually we'll, our, like our, our long-term ambition is to do term life and accidental death and fix deferred annuities. And, and um, you know, I talk about there are 57 countries in the world with inflation rates over 10%. Um, we feel that if you're in Argentina um, and you're middle class or above, you should 100% buy a life insurance policy in Bitcoin, not Argentinian pesos. So um, although right now what we are is a Bermuda-based life insurer that does whole life primarily for crypto with like people who have like pretty big stacks. Um, you know, our long-term ambition is to be the world's largest life insurance company. And we think that Bitcoin is uh, the basis on which to do that um, for people all over the world of policies of all different sizes and, and all different types I of see. products. But, start, but for now, starting with the product in America only, right? 
yeah, our most of our customers right now are Americans, but we um, we are slowly expanding our ability to sell to other to people who are resident or citizens of other countries. It's basically like uh, back to running a full financial institution. I have to do know your customer and any money laundering and I have to underwrite people. So our barrier to selling to a Portuguese Bitcoiner or a Cyprus Bitcoiner or a Hong Kong Bitcoiner is um, actually us having the operational infrastructure to underwrite those people and do KYC AML. But right, yeah, right now, most of our customers are Americans. Back to the show in a moment. Now, as I record this, the price of Bitcoin is around $43,000, which might mean for you, if you're in a high-tax Western country, you might not be getting much for your money. As many of you know, I left Australia. I felt locked in and just enduring unfairly high taxes. And so I was looking for a way out. Now, I'm obviously, I'm here in Dubai in the UAE, but Dubai may not be the right choice for you. It, it really is about finding the right case-by-case scenario for what works for you and for your family. The team at nomadcapitalist.com can help you because they have so much experience. Over 10 years of experience, they've helped people get 31 different passports. They've helped people get 40-plus different um, bank accounts across 40-plus countries. And they are in touch with close to 100 countries in terms of information and contacts. So they can help you put these different puzzle pieces together, which means you can come up with them, together with them, a, a holistic strategy and plan. And they can then also help you execute on that plan. And for us as Bitcoiners, maybe you need a place that you can actually take Bitcoin out into cash. So Nomad Capitalists can help you strategize where you live, where your fiat lives, and just help you do it in a way that is holistic. Uh, you also have to consider doing it in the right way because, for example, you might need to find the right way to become a tax non-resident of the country that you're currently in. Nomad Capitalist can help you in terms of giving you access to the right experts to help walk you through that process. Now, this uh, solution is generally available for people with a net worth over $1 million liquid, and Nomad Capitalist can take you through that planning process and optionally help you with the execution aspects of this also. So if you're interested in this, go to nomadcapitalist.com slash apply to apply for the services of Nomad Capitalist. The lead sponsor of this show is Swan Bitcoin. Swan is a leading Bitcoin-only financial services company. With Swan, you can buy Bitcoin, you can learn about Bitcoin. You can do this over at swan.com or using the Swan Bitcoin applications available on iPhone or Android. So you can use ACH or Wire to send your dirty fiat in to Swan and Swan can help you turn that into beautiful Bitcoin. Now you can do that with a smash buy, an instant buy, or you can set up an automated recurring savings plan or Bitcoin purchase plan. This is a great way for people who want to get started. A common way people do this is they might start with a lump sum and then set up an automatic DCA or dollar cost average Bitcoin savings plan, whatever you want to call it. This is a great way to help accumulate Bitcoin over the long term. And this helps you deal with the volatility of Bitcoin because as we all know, Bitcoin can be quite volatile. Swan offers a range of services, whether you are an individual, a high net worth individual, a business entity, whether you are a, an institution, there's all kinds of different service lines available with Swan. So I encourage you to check out the website and see what, what's going on there, whether that's educational content and free books and podcasts like Swan Signal or various other shows that the Swan team are putting on or 
information about Bitcoin, and of course, ways to buy Bitcoin over at swan.com. And now back to the show with Zach. Okay, understood. And so, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, it's probably, uh, it's funny that uh, the demographic you mentioned is probably a lot of those are sort of similar to me or listeners of my show are sort of in that sort of millennial to Gen X yeah. demographic. Um, so that's probably aligning there. But I think, so to getting to some of the more hairier questions, I think, I think for a lot of people, they might have the question of, hey, you know, this is a relatively new Bitcoin startup. What happens if, meanwhile, the company is not around in 30 or 40 years when I die? Fundamentally, I think the important thing to know is uh, that we have to... There's this insurance company that we own and we operate, and the Bitcoin goes in, and then there's a really strict separation. Uh, Sometimes I feel like... uh, you have to say these things that should be true of everyone, but just like haven't been true of a lot of people. There's a really strict separation of like our capital versus the capital um, uh, that like we're holding for our policyholders. And um, if in the hopefully unlikely scenario where we um, we don't persist, uh, what would happen in practice is again we there's a regulator. There's a bunch of service providers in Bermuda. There's an independent board. We would um, pay everyone back their premium um, and like go on our merry way. Because the way it works is that every time we write a policy, we have to put up a, our like own capital. Um, so that's how insurance companies work. Um, so like for every policy we write, we have to put up our own Bitcoin. And you could think of that as a buffer um, if we did do stupid things or didn't work out. And that buffer, um, it's like first loss capital or whatever. And if we got even to losing 25% of that buffer or something, we, yeah, the regulator would either make us put more Bitcoin in or they would make a shutdown. And if we shut down, we would just like give everyone their money back. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other aspect of this is, uh, I think, People are going to have a lot of questions about the Bitcoin-denominated returns aspect, right? So we need to we need to cover this point um, yeah. because obviously, well, so as fundamentally, I'm sure, actually, as you're I'm touching. Sure, yeah. I, I like to say that we do the three things that Bitcoiners hate, right? So the first thing is that you have to send us Bitcoin, right? So we are custing your Bitcoin. Now, what we usually like, we use Anchorage. Just to be clear, we we um, which we think is the most secure centralized custodian and like you'd have to kidnap a large number of people and have access to their phones. Like it's very, we feel very strongly that like we have a pretty good custody setup, but um, you are trusting us with custody. So that is again, why we talk a lot about um, like, this is not a thing. We're not trying to pitch you on like custodying all your Bitcoin. We're not trying to say that you should uh, give us your whole stack. Um, and in fact, uh, the reason that some people like really like that it's a temp pay, that is you pay every year for 10 years, is because you, you get to see that we are still here in three years and four years and five years. And, they, and then people, I think, are willing to, to make that commitment and then make that bet. But yeah, so um, the first thing is that we custody Bitcoin and you send it to us. The second is um, back to the risk sharing. Like everyone who is one of our customers, they send us Bitcoin. And we put it all together 
um, in what insurance land is called our general ledger. Um, but you could think of that as like our policyholder funds. So it's in that sense, it's hypothecated, right? There isn't, you have a surrender value, like we talked about, you have an account value. So you can go on our website and you can see that account value whenever you want. But um, there isn't a literal wallet that you can go look at on chain that has equal to your exact amount, right? So we're hypothecating all the Bitcoin. And then, yes, the third thing is we get yield on Bitcoin. How we do that is we basically, and I understand this can make people uncomfortable, we are running a like private credit operation in Bitcoin. So we lend Bitcoin to institutional counterparties. We've never lent to a human being. And then we are doing a lot of like TradFi off-chain stuff. So we negotiate 100-page master lending agreements. Where are we in your bankruptcy stack? Um, what is all your collateral? Like what's the parental guarantee? Like what are the covenants? All this stuff. And, and the distinction between us and other people, well, the first distinction is we've been doing this for two years and we've had no credit losses. <laughs> we've never lost any Bitcoin. But the second thing is we're incredibly conservative. Like the 10 to 15 thing, basically those promises um, and those guarantees look like approximately 2% returns. And our target yields are 3%. And we have gotten 3% yields. We're not trying to get 7% yields. We're not trying to get 15% yields. And in fact, we think those things are dangerous. And if I, I'm actually getting like, 3.1, 3.2% 3.1, 3. 3.2% returns now, and my board is breathing down my neck. They're like, you're getting too, like, are you taking on excess risk? You know, so we have, like, a board and an investment policy and an investment committee and all this stuff to really target that particular return and particular risk profile. And, again, we've had no credit losses in our two years. But these three things, like I'm just very can't, like I talk to every single policy hold, potential policyholder, and I've I've spoken to every single person who who um, who signed up, and we were very honest that like we ourselves, um, like I have a hardware wallet, like that's an ethos we have, but um, it the tax benefits of insurance, the protection and tax benefits of insurance require under the like IRS code that things work a certain way. And, and we have built the company we, we want to exist and we hope in time to move that to, um, being more trustless right now. We don't think that's possible. And, um, so that's why it's all set up this way. And, um, the way I often talk to people is like, you know, you should have a certain amount of your Bitcoin should probably be self custody. A certain amount of it should be at Swan or Casa or Unchained. And like, this is for, a small percentage of your your Bitcoin. We hope that you would entrust us. You would learn more about our company and what we're doing. But like, we completely understand that in every Bitcoiner's heart, there's like a love of self custody on the one hand. I don't know, and a a love of not paying taxes on the other. And like, you have to uh, <laughs> find where you are on that spectrum. And um, yeah, I mean, look, I, you know all these people too. I talk to some people, and they're like, "Well, I don't think there's going to be an American government in 50 years." So I'm not going to worry about paying taxes in 50 years. So thus, you know, perhaps our product isn't for you. But if you you think that, um, as we do, that there's going to be this robust 
globally important, globally used Bitcoin economy. And it's going to like overlay on the existing economic systems in the world. And that that's super special and it's important. And like what partially makes it special is that you can always self-custody and you do always have that ability to have self-sovereignty and you aren't relying on the government. But for that world to exist, then there has to be like Bitcoin has to be money. It can't just be gold in the ground, which the analogy is your hardware wallet. It has to like be useful. It has to be able to pay for things. There has to be capital markets. There has to be debt capital markets. There has to be insurance. Um, there has to be these sorts of things. Um, and that's what animates me about Satoshi's white paper is that the combination of trustlessness and like money and use and currency um, and we're trying to build defining financial institution of like that future Bitcoin economy. Um, but, you know, different people have different visions. And I like also completely understand. I talk to a ton of Bitcoiners, people who are like, this isn't for me right now. It just has and to so be, be it, right. The yeah. right. It's the right answer for some people because, and the wrong answer for others. Yeah, yeah, because the way I'm seeing it is on a long time horizon, something like Bitcoin life insurance, I think it, it should exist. But the question is, for a lot of people, it'll be like, is it, is it right now? And is it the right model? Because for a lot of people, obvi- the obvious comparison, and I know you're trying to address that in your recent answer, but the obvious comparison for a lot of people will be BlockFi, Celsius, Terra Luna, you know, all these things that kind of recently blew up. And so I guess the, I guess the main, for now, what people can sort of try to understand is if there's a distinction in the way you're running you know, this business as opposed to the way, you know, the Celsiuses and BlockFi's of the world where maybe they sort of had this veneer of, oh, look how regulated, look how compliant we are, we have such good risk management, blah, 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 whatever. And then actually in the background, it was sort of, well, in the case of Celsius, it was known that they were, you know, lending out to these random, you know, shit coins and things. And in the case of, I think in BlockFi's case, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that there was, there was a lot of, lending out to certain actors who might have been going short Bitcoin or maybe in certain cases they were doing the whole grayscale arbitrage, you know, discount and premium trade. And so I guess that's probably the one area where... Yeah, yeah. And I should... Yeah. But go on. It completely makes sense. And um, I feel like this is the wonderful challenge of building in Bitcoin and I guess crypto more generally is like... Yeah, there's been a lot of Ponzi schemes and scammers and people who have lied. And um, I'm like another new person that's shown up and said, uh, no, we're not lying. We're doing things in these in these certain ways. So, uh, again, I think that's partially why I get on every single customer call and we talk. And I think that the people who have bought policies in the end are making a, a trust decision with us. And I, I think what... I have so many things to say about what you said. One thing is like, we are trying, we look at the space and we say, we want to be the boring, conservative, long-term people. So um, I think that's why I like go out of our way, my way to say like, we're not trying to achieve 7% or 17% returns. We're not trying to um, make a bunch of bets on, altcoins or shitcoins or whatever. Like we are uh, 
right now, we're just like Bitcoin through and through. We keep everything in Bitcoin. Um, we think that is the, the only token that we feel certain is going to exist in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, we denominate our loans in Bitcoin to get back Bitcoin yield, all of that. And we're, we think that this is the cycle, um, where being boring and low risk and low yield, um, hopefully will resonate with people. And, um, and I think we're, we're seeing that so far. What did BlockFi do? Um, you know, I've now interviewed tons and tons of people who worked at BlockFi and Genesis. And I think fundamentally, uh, what happened is there actually were some like great credit folks at BlockFi and even, and good, and some good credit folks at Genesis. And what would happen is they'd be like, okay, uh, here's an investment memo. We should do 30% LTV loan, uh, again to this miner or to this trading counterparty. Um, I, I know a guy who was like chief credit officer for BlockFi. He, um, Voyager came in. He said, we're not lending to these folks and he was demoted. Because fundamentally, their incentives, I think, were to increase loan size so they could increase interest payments so that they could increase revenue so that they could go public. And um, again, it's just words like people should come and like, I'm happy to share documents and like have people meet board members or like see that we're regulated on, on uh, that we have a license and all this stuff. Um, but fundamentally, like we're trying to ig- I was the first policyholder. My co-founder was the second policyholder. Um, we're trying to build something that persists and is super conservative. And that structurally is easier. I think what is weird, like BlockFi was basically running a bank, right? Like you could withdraw your money at any time and they were doing all these loans. We're actually like the complete opposite. Like we make really long promises to our customers, which I, I get can be uncomfortable, but we make really long promises to our customers. And then we're out there being super careful, but we don't have to worry about like everyone withdrawing their money at once. We don't have to worry about these like risks that, that blew up some of these institutions. Um, and that also allows us to, I guess, rewind all the way. Like we think that one of the most important things that we're doing is helping to build an economy in Bitcoin that is, uh, that is at duration. So we are, we're, we've had actually billions and billions of dollars of, or tens and tens of thousands of Bitcoin of borrower interest come to us. We sift through, we do due diligence on these people and almost all of them, we, we say no to, like, we just need enough good credits to get the yield we need for our customers and to make sure we're getting that year over year. And that's our focus. Like we want to be here again, to build one of the world's largest, like largest insurance companies. And that is, um, that is all about thinking in the long term. Back to the show in a moment. When it comes to holding our Bitcoin, it's important to consider hardware security. So coinkite.com are the, are my favorite makers of Bitcoin hardware security devices, most notably the cold card. The cold card is a really reliable device. It has multiple secure elements. It has PSBT support and it has micro SD card support for those people who want to be able to move transactions back and forth without having your cold card touch the computer directly. So that's a really cool feature. Of course, if you are a beginner, you can just directly plug the cold card into your 
computer and use it easily with desktop wallets such as Sparrow Wallet or Spectre Desktop or Electrum or on the mobile you can look for applications such as Nunchuck. The cold card is a great device. I use it as part of various setups of my own. You can use it really in just a a combination of setups. So whether you want to have it as just a single signature plain Jane setup or you want to use a passphrase or whether you want to use seed XOR or maybe you're more advanced and you want to use multi-signature, the cold card works great in all of those scenarios. And I, I use it regularly. I, I really find it a great device. Uh, I like that there are a range of other features such as dice rolling or other uh, brick me and Juris pins that you can use as part of your security setup. So go and get your cold cards, either for yourself or for your family, over at coinkite.com using code LAVERA. And finally, mempool.space, the leading Bitcoin and blockchain visualizer. If you have a transaction ID that you've either sent or somebody is sending that transaction to you, you can go and search that in mempool.space. If you have a transaction that you're about to send, you go to mempool.space. On the front page, you can see the fee estimates. I use that all the time whenever I'm about to send an on-chain transaction or just when I want to keep an eye on what's going on in the mempool with all those inscriptions and all this other stuff out there. Sometimes you just want to you want to keep an eye on where the mempool is at. The mempool.space also continually innovate and put out new features such as the mempool goggles, which you can use to keep an eye on what's going on, what transactions are going into the mempool. The mempool mempool.space are also coming out with an accelerator. So if you want to sign up for that accelerator program and get on the wait list, that's over at mempool.space slash accelerator. And now back to the show with Zach. Yeah, so one other thing that is perhaps an open question out there is, right, as you and all the listeners know, there'll never be more than 21 million Bitcoin. And that means, you know, long-term, on the, in the far-flung future, we're going to be operating in this kind of deflationary environment. And so I guess having positive Bitcoin-denominated returns is just going to be a really hard thing to achieve long-term. And I think maybe that's where one area where, like for me personally, I'd be kind of scared about maybe not like, okay, in this, you know, in the next, let's say, five to 10 years, but, you know, the longer term, if you're, if you're, if you're sort of giving people this, I guess, this promise that, oh, hey, we're going to, you know, or our business model is reliant on us getting 2% Bitcoin-denominated returns. Uh, I guess that's one area where I'm still a little... That, that's one thing that makes me a bit uneasy. What, what do you think? What do you think about that? Well, I will say, as you know, we, we're not going to get to 21 million until... Like 2140 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it is a little ways off. I guess that... Bitcoin, I think, will be naturally deflation. Let's like take post twenty one forty, which is a long time away. But um, I think it'll be naturally naturally deflationary um, because obviously, like economic activity will probably grow. Um, but also, uh, for better or worse, because of like money laundering rules, you see like parts of the chain essentially get pruned um, or keys get lost. So like it, it will be nationally, naturally deflationary in the really long term. I think what um, I would say is two sort of slightly contradictory things. One is um, we, again, I think there will be a persistent economy built on Bitcoin and that will mean that there is like motion and velocity to 
to Bitcoin and money. So that doesn't, um, there is some limit to the size that our insurance company can get in Bitcoin terms. Um, but I don't think that means that like if we held 1% of all Bitcoin and we were promising 1.02% of all Bitcoin, um, I don't think that actually means we would need to, like we just need at the right time to have that amount of Bitcoin, if that makes sense, right? Like we're, yeah, I, got you. So you, you, I guess you're sort of arguing that there's going to be a certain level of velocity just like people die the economy. Yeah. Right. That there's going yes, to be some yes. velocity of and the second thing action is, through the yeah, economy. I mean, the, yeah, I think the second practical reality is that um, we are making promises now that will persist for, call it 50 years. And um, as I believe, the Bitcoin economy will grow and grow and be a bigger part of the world in the next 50 years. Between... Um, I don't know, 50 years from now. So what is that? 2084 uh, and 2140. Um, yeah, the way the U.S. tax code defines life insurance, it has to have a positive rate of return. I think that we would hope, you know, around 2100 that we would pro- we would want to change what the definition of life insurance Um so that we could include probably deflationary policies. Like that is a literally a thing that we talk about as a company. Um, but you know, it's hard to action now or make, make, uh, promises, but I feel pretty good about where we are now relative to the promises we're making over the next, uh, half century. And then we can worry about, um, year, uh, 2084 to 2140 when we do. I think this is actually like, I don't have a strong opinion about this. Um, and I know it's like, it is part of what attracts me to Bitcoin, but I am really curious to see if it happens anywhere in my lifetime. Um, as we approach that asymptote, whether, um, we'll stay at 21 million or, um, I don't know, we'll introduce a minor inflationary rate or something. I think that the pro- the human psychology is very bad at thinking about deflation. Um, and I think that, that, that um, we'll, we will see how that, that works. From a mathematical yeah. and actuarial perspective, it's very straightforward to think about. So... Anyway, we're getting, yeah. I don't mean to get philosophical, but right, yeah. I mean, I, I think it. I think this is not happening. I think you would have to convince too many people who are already hodlers to why would they dilute their own supply, right? Unless they get propagandized so much, you know, by the Keynesians that we need an inflating money supply. I just, I don't see it. But the other thing to think about, though, because as you said, okay, fine. Maybe you know, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties, and let's assume for argument's sake, I've got fifty years left. You know, I'm going to die in my 80, 85 or whatever. You know, in the year 2074 or whatever. Um, the other aspect to this, though, is that yeah. most of Bitcoin has already been mined into existence. It's, what, 19.6 million or something, last I checked. And I think there's an interesting stat. I think it's a, most of the Bitcoins, maybe 99% or so, will be mined in the, in the 2030s. And so maybe, like, you know, to that aspect, it'll kind of happen sooner than, you know... Yeah, yeah. I think what we, well, let me take that in two different directions. One is that we expect that the exchange rate between Bitcoin and dollars will go up as many people expect. And then we will expect that our policy sizes will come down. 
like right now our medium policy size is about 10 Bitcoin. Um, and as in that's how much they pay in or that's the, that's the surrender value. Sorry. The 10 BTC. Is that the paying in value or that's the surrender? Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the median paying in value. Um, if I look out 10 years, I predict that that will be, that will be an astronomical sum. Um, and our policy size will, in Bitcoin terms, will decrease over time as the value, the value relative to the dollar of Bitcoin goes gotcha. up. So, um, that is an act. So just to say that I think, um, yes, much of Bitcoin has been mined. We believe that there will be a persistent Bitcoin economy. That means that the value of Bitcoin relative to the dollar will increase. That will mean our policy sizes will decrease. To your question of how do we get yields, again, I think the primary method that we do that will be um, that there will be a velocity of money because like, I think for, again, different people can have different perspectives. We believe there will be an economy there will be, and then if there's an economy, there'll be economic activity, and there's economic activity. There'll be capital markets. If there are capital markets, there are debt capital markets, and that thus there'll be velocity. Again, I think what makes Bitcoin special is the ability to like have no government and to have self custody if you want. But I, I think we see it a difficult world if every single Bitcoiner holds it in a wallet and does nothing with it. Um then there won't really be an economy. That doesn't mean it won't be a good store of value. There won't be an economy. And we do worry a little bit about this. Um, and back to your question of winding down, um, we, we actually have an unusual clause in our contracts, which is that we can, in the first 10 years, cancel a contract and give everyone their money back. Specifically, if we don't feel that there is a way to get durable 2% returns. And that is our, I guess, our insurance policy. Um, Cause we are, we are 100% um, focused on getting the conservative low yields that we are promising our customers. And we do not want to take on excess risk. And we would rather shut the company down than blow up like that. That is, um, that is just where we're at. So we have this clause in our contracts that if there aren't debt capital markets, then we'll give everyone their money back. Um, And, but again, I am, I am a persist. I'm a believer that Bitcoin is going to be like the settlement layer in the world. I think that you're seeing, um, you know, a bunch of, uh, energy producing nations start to do mining. I think what you're going to see is that like infrastructure projects are going to start to be like, I, I, I'm not going to do it, but I I've been, I've been telling people someone should start like an oils oil future, natural gas exchange, like a CME, but nominated in Bitcoin where the bid ask spreads are in Bitcoin. Like I fundamentally believe that we're going to see much of the economy um, or at least a portion of the economy switch over to a Bitcoin standard. And if you believe that that is true, that Bitcoin will be this like global settlement layer and there'll be a Bitcoin standard and there'll be like infrastructure projects in Bitcoin, then like all of that will naturally lead there to being a robust uh, economy and like yield on Bitcoin. 
Right, yeah. I think one thing I would just add is um, I believe that, you know, moving into this Bitcoin deflationary world, I think there'll be a lot less debt than we have today. There will be some debt, but it'll be a lot less. And uh, just because it's a fixed, you know, it's a fixed supply. And I think that's just naturally what's going to happen. In terms of your question or your kind of point about are people actually going to spend the thing or is everyone just going to hodl? I think longer term, we will have to spend because, you know, you'll need to eat and have a house over your head or have a roof over your head and so on. So that for me is not so much an issue. Like I think people will naturally have to spend once we're, you know, in the far flung future into the Bitcoin, you know, denominated world. Um, So for me, I'm not that concerned that, you know, everyone, because it's literally impossible for everyone to hodl in that world because we got to spend to eat and so on. Right. So I just think, you know, so I think that part is not so much a worry for me. And even, you know, and this kind of comes back to even some of the economic theory debates as well, because some people would say, oh, look, what happens if there's not enough people spending? And is that, you know, the Keynesian kind of hoarding kind of argument, which I think is wrong, by the way, because really, if a lot of people are just holding and not spending their coin, they are leaving those the real resources of the world available for some other entrepreneur to bid away. So in practice, yes. I'm not that worried about about that part of it. It's more just but about I like, completely agree how with long you. does this take? And you know, I do think that we'll have. Pro- I hope we'll have a world with less, particularly consumer debt. But I guess the the question for us is, where the, will there be like institutional credit like corporate in the debt world? And, and things, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, corporate debt or or I, I really see a future where. Um, the next nuclear power plant or the next oil field, if you want to build that, that you would issue a bond um, in Bitcoin because there's this natural connection between like Bitcoin and energy and Bitcoin and power. Um, So again, for me, the Bitcoin standard looks like, yeah, maybe a world with a lot less overall debt, particularly consumer debt. But I think that the, to your point about like natural economies and nat- and the natural velocity of money, like um, th- I think there will still be ventures in the world, and some of those ventures um, uh, and some of that risk taking will be funded by folks. And uh, yeah, we are definitely making a bet that um, there will be available yields. Um, but that's partially the reason of why we are making a bet that the yields will be very low. Um, I don't think that they're going to be outrageously high. I think be, they're going to be low partially because um, the the projects they'll get funded will probably be relatively conservative, particularly relative to the value of the currency they're denominated in. Got it. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about. So I saw this in some of the news articles and things. I was reading that you also have, it says you have a private credit fund that's going to be a closed-end fund taking in USD and targeting 5% return denominated in, in Bitcoin. So is that still true or has that changed or is that a different thing? That's a different thing. Um, I, yeah. I, sorry, we just didn't talk about it. Like not at all hiding, very straightforward about yeah. this. Like, yeah, we have built um, this... Through the insurance company, we invest Bitcoin and we are getting approximately 3% yields against 2% promises. But as part of that, we've had to build an enterprise risk management framework. We have a chief risk officer. Like we have uh, a credit, credit people. We have an investment committee. We have all this infrastructure. And we um, believe that 
uh, you know, we've had to build this skill. And again, a skill that has uh, outputted no credit losses in a time with Celsius, BlockFi, Voyager, FTX. <laughs> um, so we feel that's a skill that we, um, we can use for other people. It's a different thing though, right? Um, it is a, a riskier venture with a riskier IRR. Um, we, we are not going to take the insurance company, um, and try to get 5% yields, but we are saying like we've built this capability and we look at all the credits in the world and we think there are um, enough credits to support a fund like this. Um, so are they, these are segregated entities, or like losses in one will not impact oh, segregated. the other? Actually, they're actually in like different countries, actually. The fund is in the United States, completely segregated, um, uh, and the insurance companies in Bermuda, completely segregated. So they're completely separate things. The fund is a private credit fund. So what does that mean? But it's denominated in Bitcoin. So either you can contribute dollars and on the day of the close, we'll convert all your dollars to Bitcoin, or you can contribute Bitcoin. We take that pile of Bitcoin. Let's, we say a hundred million, but like actually what it means like 20,000 Bitcoin is about what we're trying to get. Um, if I did that, yeah, 20,000. Um, and then the goal is that that will produce 5% interest every year. We'll pay out that interest. Um, but it's a, it's locked up. So it's, again, not like BlockFi. We're not making promises that it's liquid. It's not a product that's supposed to be for, like, random retail people to put in a tenth of a Bitcoin. This is, like, an institutional, um, like, commitment that w- you'll lock up your Bitcoin for uh, the investment period is three years. Um, there are possible uh, extensions. So, it, you know, I think what we look out in the space – and say, there's a lot of people who are offering like high risk liquid. Like that is what the space is about. And and I think that if you want to get high risk, high returns with a lot of liquidity, you end up um, naturally gravitating toward altcoins and like trying to make money on tokens and pump and dumps and Ponzi schemes and all this stuff. Um, and we're trying to just be a different part of the ecosystem, which is we're trying to be the like long duration, boring, conservative guys. That is how, ha- uh, like how we're building our company. It's how we're building our culture. Um, it's who we're hiring and, um, a, and that, and private credit we feel is like part of that. Um, we, because it is a, like, it is not about, you handing us Bitcoin and us turning into a big pile of Bitcoin very fast is about like a, a longer term institutional cross cycle investment. I see. Yeah. Um, and I just ran the number just quickly, just for people interested. Um, so let me just check that. I, th- I believe so about a hundred million USD is about 2,385 Bitcoin just at today's prices. Um, but yeah, so oh, 2020, uh, sorry, yeah. I, I, I was off by yeah. word magazine. Yeah, that's, that's uh, not 2000. a big deal. Um, and then, so then, um, I guess... Yeah, 20,000 would be a, that, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, yeah, that's like a billion. Um, but, uh, oh, so I guess then the question could also just be, how do, you know, how can people get comfortable? Are there audits? Are there other things that people outside of the company can see to make sure that you're not, you know, doing a Celsius or a BlockFi or something like this? Um. We have an internal auditor 
that is uh, a big four firm. We have an external auditor. Candidly, the external auditor does isn't going to do an audit on us until we make our regulatory filings. So there isn't one right now. I think, again, the way people are comfortable is if you're interested, you could come sign up on our website or you can email me. I'm Zach at meanwhile.bm. And, um, yeah, we have a bunch of material we share. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, we're not a non here I am. I can tell you all the people who work on for the company. I can tell you all the independent directors in Bermuda. I can tell people the names of the service providers. Um, and then we we're happy to share uh, materials on an individual basis. Um, yeah. And again, I think we, um, we, we, we're trying to do the right thing. I know a lot of people have said that. Um, and we we're very fortunate that a lot of, or, you know, some number of, you know, Bitcoiners, OG Bitcoiners included, um, have gotten on board. And I think that that, uh, it is partially because there's a 10 pay, you pay over time. It is partially because we're, we share materials. Um, but yeah, we also understand that, uh, we have to prove ourselves and, um, we, we prove ourselves by doing every day what we say we're going to do. And, um, that for some people, uh, it'll make like, if we're still here in three years, they're going to be a lot more comfortable than they are now. And you know, that's, that's fine. I, um, I, I may, I might do the same thing if I didn't found the company myself. <laughs> well, I think that's, uh, yeah, I think that's probably, it, it just takes time to, uh, this is a new thing. Um, and obviously what's happened in the last few years has got a lot of people scared about the same kinds of mistakes happening again. So obviously it's going to, it's going to take some time, um, for people to get comfortable. Uh, and I think the other aspect of it is, you know, going through a bull cycle, what happens in Bitcoin world is people start betting over their heads. They start gambling or they start, you know what I mean? They start just doing things that are crazy and irresponsible. And so then I guess the challenge will be people will need to look at, you know, because there'll be, you know, other companies like you who have to sort of prove that they are conservative even during a bull cycle. So I think that's probably going to be uh, an interesting um, marker for people. Well, look, I'm actually, I mean, I don't want to say I was happy that there was a, uh, a bear, but you know, we raised our first round of funding in January, 2022. Um, and that was like Sam Altman and uh, a bunch of a range of like crypto insurance fintech people. And then um, we actually raised our like second tranche of $13 million like post FTX. Um, and I think we've been really happy to be building uh, in the bear. Um, I think it like creates a good discipline we're a very like small focus team. Um, and, uh, literally every day when, or every time we talk about a potential investment, um, uh, out of the sort of like Bitcoin corpus, we, we talk about capital preservation first. Um, and I think that that, that culture, um, is going to persist, uh, actually like our first and foremost, like value. I know sometimes corporate values are like corporate speak, but, um, is like built for the long term, and um, we we are. I, I was going to say since you mentioned it, we've had a number of people who um, bought policies uh, 
like directly with the Bitcoin they got out of the BlockFi bankruptcy. Um, and I guess that could mean that those people were, were pretty foolish, but I think what we, what we, we hope that means is like, um, that we're different, uh, than those and the mistakes of the past. Um, and that is certainly, certainly not just what we're trying to project. It's like what we're trying to live every day. Gotcha. And that's why, um, by the way, I have other, so much respect yeah. for Swan. I have so much respect for, for Unchained and Casa. Um, uh, just, you know, we, yeah, we, we want, um, we feel culturally aligned with folks who um, not only believe in Bitcoin, but uh, believe in this whole ecosystem as something that needs to persist and think very long term. And uh, we think that that's hopefully what's going to distinguish this cycle from last ones. But uh, as you say, I think there is always exuberance and exuberance leads to scams and scams leads to um, people being less trusting and that all makes sense to me. It, it, I've lived that every three years too for the last nine. Yeah. Two, two other questions I've got. Um, one is around reinsurers. So this is a concept I've heard from the insurance age, you know, world that there's often insurance agency or insurance companies and reinsurers who sit above them. So uh, do you have a reinsurer or what's the model here? We don't currently have a reinsurer. It's a big question about whether we will... Um, there are, we have talked to some of the world's big reinsurers. There's actually like structures that make sense for them and for us. Um, I think uh, we, we could spend a whole other hour on like insurance and insure tech and economics. Um, we, uh, we really want, we think in the long term, lots of insurance products are needlessly complicated and they're needlessly complicated because there's this whole like stack of people in the ecosystem and they need to be incentivized in different ways and, and all this stuff. And one of the things that we love about starting an insurance company in Bitcoin is that we've really gotten to simplify the product down. I know it sounded really complicated and we had to spend 20 minutes on it, but like relative, like, you have these products that are sold that's like, okay, you get principal protection, but it's indexed to the S&P 500 with these three riders, blah, blah, blah. And one of the nice things is that I joke is like, we get to run a life insurance company from like the 1850s. And we like that. Um, and we like the simplicity and the value props. And that comes with an element of control, <laughs> um, obsessiveness and conservativeness. Um, and so we may work with reinsurers. Um, we may not. We'll see. Yeah. Okay. And uh, last question I had is, um, do you see the rest of the fiat insurance agency coming along to actually hodl Bitcoin as part of their own portfolios or at least in the future yeah, yeah. offering a similar kind of Bitcoin life insurance like you are? Yeah. So let me split that into two. Do I expect that incumbent like carriers and reinsurers will do what we're doing? Maybe it's really hard, actually, because if you think if you have a dollar balance sheet and you want to sell Bitcoin policies, then you either have to hold Bitcoin or hold Bitcoin derivatives or something. And because Bitcoin is volatile relative to the dollar, then you end up having to hold a ton of capital. So it'd be like super expensive and really difficult. Um, so I actually think that, back to your last question, instead of reinsurers reinsuring our mortality risk, although that may happen, we actually may be in the business of reinsuring other people's Bitcoin risk. 
because we can hold Bitcoin and really no one else in life insurance land can. So yeah, we have some ideas um, that if you look at the ETF, for example, the ETF is a product that every like investment advisor in America can sell to get their people like 1% exposure to Bitcoin, let's say. There's not an equivalent product for insurance agents. We could build such a product because we can hold the Bitcoin. Um, so that may be us working with a carrier who has a license in the U.S., and then our Bermuda entity acts as a reinsurer to take on the crypto risk. So we're like talking to some potential partners about that in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, and that would be a way for the incumbent um, like agents and salespeople to have a product that gives Bitcoin exposure to their users. I think that's actually like very likely and we'll hopefully participate in helping that ecosystem exist. I find it less likely in the near term that New York Life or Mass Mutual or Northwestern Mutual um, or whatever will find a way to offer the product we offer um, just structurally and regulatory from a regulatory perspective would be very difficult. Yeah, really interesting. Well, uh, Zach, it's been an interesting uh, chat with you. Um, certainly, as, as I mentioned before, right? I think something like this should exist in the Bitcoin world. I just, I just really, uh, I guess, with the recent all the you know all the failures, the BlockFi's, the Celsius's, the three RS capitals, and all this other stuff. Yeah. I guess that's just what I'm hoping this doesn't become. But you know, I, I would like to see this kind of thing become a reality. So, uh, any uh, closing thoughts from your side, and where can people find you? My closing thought is um, yes, they can find. I again, I'm Zach at Meanwhile.bm. Our website is Meanwhile.bm. People can sign up for our waitlist, and then we pull people off our waitlist as we can service them serve them and help and talk to them and help them become policyholders. Um, I think uh, what you said is absolutely right. And I hope that um, if people are listening to this podcast or watching it, that they, um, if they are at all interested and they have questions, like they should reach out or we can jump on a Zoom call. Um, and I know that some people, that'll mean we have a, a great chat and it's not for them, but for some people, I think they can, they hopefully will get comfortable. Like we really believe, um, that the world will move to a Bitcoin standard and, um, we're trying to build a defining financial institution for that standard. And, um, I don't know if that means I'll make the most money of anyone. I like, maybe I, I should do something less conservative, but I think the point is, um, we, we, um, we're Bitcoiners too. And we really believe in this. And, uh, not only do we think something like this should exist, we're, we're building it to exist. Um, and I hope that resonates with, uh, with folks out there. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining me, Zach. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I had a good time. All right, I hope you enjoyed the show. One quick reminder before we finish up, I also have a Substack newsletter. So for those of you interested, you go to stefanlevera.substack.com and you can find it there. It's a weekly free email newsletter just to go along with the podcast. And my goal with this is to just do a once a week update where I talk a little bit about what's going on in the space and also offer some uh, revision and highlights of what happened in the podcast episodes for that week. So that's it from me. Thanks, and I'll see you in the Citadels.